Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Good morning, Mercy family. Um, If you are newer to Mercy, I want you to know that our vision here is to see a gospel awakening happen here in Charlotte that is carried to the ends of the earth. So one of our core values as a church is that every member recognizes we are sent out by God with this wonderful message of the gospel into every corner of our everyday lives. It's just what we believe. Um, it's what we kind of walk and live in. We're united together as members in that belief. And as we do, as we walk in that, we keep our hands open and our eyes open to where God might be sending us next. Um, because we believe this, and because we believe this is every believer's posture, we help plant churches in strategic areas all around the world. Uh, we do that alongside of a network that is called the Summit Network. Um, we are uh, the Summit Network is this group of churches over the past eight years has planted. 42 churches. In fact, Mercy Church is one of those churches. And now we lock arms with other churches in the network to look at strategic places around the world that need the gospel, and we seek to help um, plants. And a lot of that, um, because of your generosity to the mission of mercy, if you don't know, we give away about 10% of everything we take into God's mission. And because of your generosity, we got to help plants. Park Slope Community Church, and today we are commissioning two of our own to go and join the Park Slope family, to go be a part of that launch team. Drew and Tiffany, um, Drew and Tiffany Terry have been members of Mercy. You guys have been with us like, I mean, yeah, the whole time, <laughs> like four years is like the whole time. Um, they were, uh, this is kind of a cool moment for us. They were baptized um, here at Mercy on June 5th of 2017. So we're looking right at two years from baptism. And when we baptize, one of the questions that we ask is, are you willing to go wherever God tells you to go? Which is our posture of saying, Lord, we're going to keep our hands open, right? We're going to keep our yes on the table, and we're going to let you put it wherever you want to put it on the map. And over the past couple years, as um, they've learned and seen what the Lord is doing in Brooklyn, as we've partnered with now our second church plant there, they have sensed God's calling to go and to be a part of um, that launch team, which when I brought um, Pastor Logan down, I said, hey, man, you recruit as hard as you can, um, and we will trust the Lord with what happens. And this is what's happened. The Lord has raised up, of course, two of our best. We send our best and we leave the rest. So that's who you are. No, I'm just playing. You're not the rest. I'm just messing with you. Um, But we do. We do believe we want to send our very best to go advance the gospel around the world. And y'all, this is painful for me. Um, This is painful. I'm excited. I love these guys, though. And I recognize they have served on just about every ministry team that we have here and are currently serving in that space, given generously to our church of their time, talent, treasure over the past few years. And so we trust that as we send them out, the Lord will supply um, our need. And he might be calling. I think he is probably calling some of you to step off the 
sidelines and join here in the Mission of Mercy Church as even as they go out. Um, so what I want to do is something we do around here pretty regularly, and that's that we commission um, just as the early church did. They laid their hands on um, Paul and on Barnabas and commissioned them, sent them out to advance the gospel around the known world at the time. That's what we're going to do this morning is commission the Terrys to go out with the hope of Christ. Um, guys, the passage that stays on my heart and mind in moments like this is Joshua 1.9, where the Lord says to Joshua, who's following um, the leadership of Moses, who's being entrusted with this um, very big commission, he says, do not fear and do not be afraid. Don't turn away from my word, cling to it, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, as you walk forward, trusting that this is what seems like the Lord has called you to, the Lord is with you. We just sang about it. His presence is with you, and you have a church family that will do anything for you and that will be back uh, here in Charlotte praying for you as we drink sweet tea that is not available to you anymore um, up there. So, um, yeah, that's right. Sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, you go. Um, so if you guys will join me, I'm going to um, pray over them. I'm going to lay my hands on them, and you can symbolically join me in that just by extending your hand out um, as we do that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for our brother and our sister. What grace they have been to us as they have followed and submitted their lives to you um, and then demonstrated the hope and love of Christ to each one of us. Um, we are better for having them in our lives. There is no doubt about that. Um, so we thank you for them. We thank you for their submitting to your call on their lives to go where the gospel needs to be proclaimed, to join Park Slope. And we pray for Park Slope. We thank you for Pastor Logan. We ask for great wisdom and leadership for him as these two join um, his care and God as they seek to advance the gospel together. We trust you, Father. We trust that you are with the Terrys as they go out. And so in the mighty name of Christ, the name that is above every other name, the name that you say, it's at that name that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At that name and in the power of that name, we send out our brother and sister to your great work there in Brooklyn. We praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen. 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 Will you guys join me in thanking the Terrys? Love you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. Oh. Oh, man. Well, um, I don't know how to transition from that to what's next. So that's what I'm, that's that. Now we're transitioned. Um, if you will make your way over to Exodus chapter 20, we are going to continue in our series that we're doing this summer on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's where we're at all summer. If you're new with us, it's this, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, this beautiful summary of God's design for how he has created the world, how he has created it to flourish. Uh, the first 19 chapters of Exodus are this really action-packed um, story and account of how God has brought his people up out of slavery, up out of bondage from Egypt, and now he has brought them, and they are now free people, and he's showing them, you once lived oppressed and by a set of laws that were oppressing you, but now you are free. Now you're free. And now that they're free, he's telling them how to live as free people. Uh, the commandments are divided up. 
of course, how um, we relate first to how the Israelites were to relate to God and how we are to relate to God and then how we are to relate to others. Not surprisingly, they start with how we are to relate to God. And really the first four commandments are all focused on our relationship with God. We're spending most of the month of June and looking at our relationship with God because until you get what you could call the vertical right, your relationship with God right, you, until you get that right, you can't get any of your horizontal relationships right, your relationships with others. That defines everything. So we say we gotta focus in on it. We're not surprised by the way the Lord has structured this to focus us in on as we get started on what it means to know the Lord himself. You got to know who you were created by to understand what you were created for. But the next six are how we relate to others. So the month of June, while we do this work there, we know what's coming is what's going to feel like probably one topical message after the next, but they're all incredibly related because they're all dealing with how our understanding of who God is and who we are in light of who God is affects how we interact with the world around us. Uh, so quick review, we're, we're all the way to the third commandment. So time for a little review. All right, so what's the first one? Anybody remember? We got Exodus um, 20 verse three. Anybody wanna shout it out? Oh, everybody's confident. Yeah, no other gods, right? No other gods um, besides me. The first command was all about worshiping the right God. And then the second one, the one we covered last week, anybody wanna give it a, give it a shot? That's right. No idols. Do not take an idol for yourself. That's verse four. We said if the first command was about worshiping the right God, the second command was about worshiping the right God in the right way. Said making an idol, according to the second commandment, is fashioning the one true God into something that he just isn't. Right? When we say we can't imagine God to be, this is the big takeaway from that second one, we can't imagine him to be who we would prefer him to be. We have to worship and respond to him as he has revealed himself to be. And that brings us to the third commandment. Verse seven of Exodus 20. We're gonna do the same thing we've been doing, which is um, we're gonna look at it, kind of make sure we understand what it says. And like I said, with each one of these, there's like the, the initial reading that may not be that long, but the implications of what it says are quite significant. So we're gonna have full understanding of what it says. We'll see how we break it, how we fall short of it, and then how we respond and where we go from here, all right? So Exodus 20, verse seven. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. The third commandment is all about the name of God and how we use it. And a lot of times uh, we just tend to, I think if we're honest for a second, we tend to not take this one as seriously as the first two. The first two are so big, so important. There's this big warning at the end of the second commandment that if you break it, it's going to impact and, and curse generations and generations after you. And then we get to the third and you hear, hey, watch your language. And for some reason, it just doesn't ring quite as weighty feels like we can let our guard down a little. These first two were these bedrock foundational principles. And this one feels like, you know, a good reminder. Although this is the only other commandment aside from the second that includes a punishment, a promise of some judgment that will come if we break it. But I think if we really do ask why, why is this such a big deal that it made it into the 10 commandments? It'll really help us get to, I think, a really great spot today. I mean, you got foundational pillars in the commandments of rest, of marriage, of parenting, God's purpose for you, how you get over greed, how you handle fear of man, and then foul language makes it in. I want to show you in this a really big, big idea you may not realize about the name of God as seen in Scripture that makes this commandment, y'all, not only make sense, 
I think it really, my hope is it will deepen your day-to-day relationship with God. Because when he says here, do not misuse the name of God, maybe your translation might say, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's revealing a deep connection between God's name and God himself. A connection that if you just pause, think about it for a second, you and I actually operate in in everyday life, right? Like when I hear the name Scott Urbanic, like there's more than just markings on a page that come to mind, right? I think of that fiery kind of blondish red hair that might just like actually combust at any moment, right? I think of big hugs and a very lovable guy who's very intense and competitive, right? A name is much more than a label. Over time, as people get to know us, it embodies who we are. I mean, you think about, just for a second, think about like the two or three or four people closest to you, right? You just, you think about their name. You can't just think about their name, right? You think about everything. A flood of emotions comes in with that. Y'all, that's why we, uh, that's why I went to such great lengths in naming my kids, Great links to name my kids. In fact, I mean, today is Father's Day. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Um, it is a, a really the greatest calling we will ever have. Um, this side of eternity is to parent the children that God gives us. And the, one of the first big tasks parents get is to name their kids, right? And it's a big one. And so you want to make sure you get it right. In fact, I think this is why people are like, uh, I'll, we'll tell you the name after uh, the baby's born because it's harder for you to not like it, you know, if it's like, oh, there's the person, you know, you can't not like a person's name instead of an idea, right? I think that's why people do that. But for me, I have a, a five-part criteria that Courtney has graciously allowed me to invoke when naming, okay? The first one, the name has to have a strong meaning, all right? And so since we have babies every other week here at Mercy, maybe this will be good for some of y'all as y'all are in the process of thinking. Um, first one's got to have a strong meaning, doesn't have to be biblical, but I want them to hear a, a message inside of their name that they can carry with them. So like Ezekiel, his name means strength of God, right? I want a, a good, strong meaning. The second thing I want is a family tie. You know, we want them to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. We want them to know for better and for worse um, where they've come from, to help them encourage them in their next steps. Uh, we want it to be flexible. That's the third criteria, right? We want it to be flexible because we know kids go through that stage where they're like, I want to change everything, right, about me, and I want to change my name. So we kind of build that in, all right? So Elizabeth, for example, can be Ellie, can be Liz, can be Beth, can be Liza, I don't know, any number of things, right? We build it in. Uh, the fourth criteria is Southern. Um, <laughs> that's right. Just like the family tie, uh, we want them to have a little splash of sweet tea in each one of their names um, so that their names remind them of home, again, better or worse. So you got Ellie Mae, you got Hattie Lou. I mean, you can hear some of that in there. And then the last one that I won't say is the most important, but I think it's just big, is that the name has to be presidential. Has to be presidential because I fully expect at least one of my kids to inhabit the Oval Office for about eight years. Um, and so... I've made sure that they can say that any one of their names, you could say, President Benjamin Graham Shelton. You know, so you say, President Benjamin Graham Shelton, why have you declared war on all countries at once? Because that's the way his personality is working out right now. But you know, I want at least to be able to, to know that, right? Um, names matter. My point in all that is that they matter. And nowhere is the fact that a name matters more true than in the name of God himself. To know the name of God is not to merely know something about God. It is to know God himself. All right, Exodus 3, 
Moses encounters God and Moses says, and we've talked about this a couple of times already in this series, who am I to say to Israel when, when I say, hey, somebody sent me to come to you to, to bring you out? Who am I to say to Israel and to Pharaoh, who sent me? And God just says, I am, I am. You may have heard the name pronounced Yahweh. Right, it's God's name for himself, so simple, so foundational to all things. Before all things, after all things, God just simply is. This is way more than God just wearing a name tag so that Moses remembers who he's dealing with. This is God saying there's something holy embedded into the name of the Lord. And y'all, everywhere, everywhere, scripture mentions the name of the Lord, it is exalted in the highest possible terms. I mean, you can't understand. This is the big thing today. You can't understand the third commandment until you see what the name of the Lord is in scripture. In fact, I feel like my job today, if there's one thing that you like took away today, it's that the name of God was sort of lifted higher in the eyes of your heart and mind today as you walked out of here. That would be my big win as your pastor. I wanna show you, so I wanna show you the name of the Lord just a little bit, show you in scripture. In the Psalms, we see that the name of God defends us, Psalm 20. Psalm 54 shows us that the name of the Lord saves us. Psalm 135 shows us that the name of God is eternal. Your name endures forever. Psalm 111, his name is holy. His name is awe-inspiring. Psalm 23, God guides us. Why? For his namesake. His name is magnificent, Psalm 8.1 tells us. Psalm 29, listen to this. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do what? His name. Y'all, think about this for a second. I want to pause on this one. God is very, very clear that he and he alone should be worshiped, which means that to give glory to his name, the only way he can say that and that makes sense is that to give glory to his name is to give glory to him. Scripture is equating the name of God with God. You you catch the, the weight of that? His name represents his very presence. Deuteronomy 12, the Lord your God will choose the place to have his name dwell. I'm talking about where he's gonna dwell. Exodus 33, Moses says, Lord, I wanna see your glory. God says, go hide in a rock. Verse 19, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim what? The name. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And so Exodus 34, uh, a little bit later, Moses um, goes back up because he's gotta go get the commandments again. And it says, verse five, the Lord came down, stood in a cloud with him there. And what does the Lord do? He proclaims the name, the name, the Lord. When we pray, Matthew six, how does Jesus tell us to begin to pray? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He doesn't just say hallowed be you. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is building on the Old Testament reality that we hold God as holy when we hold his name as holy. In fact, one of the evidences that Jesus claimed it to be divine and that his followers believed him to be divine was so that it was because Jesus took up the name of God, started using it. And when they went out and they performed works in his name, power was released and things started happening. Right, Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us, how? In your name. Verse 12 of Acts 4, there's salvation in no one else for there is No other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. How do we find salvation? Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 1, 11. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. 
What happens at the end of days? Philippians 2 tells us, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I could go on and on and on because this isn't something that just pops up a couple of times in scripture. In scripture, the name of God reflects his control, his authority, his presence, his goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his unyielding love towards all of his people. Y'all, the Bible takes a megaphone and very loudly and clearly says the name of God is holy. So now we come back to Exodus 20, verse seven, the third commandment. You can start to see why this command is so important because the name is so holy, so sacred, so powerful that we are to employ it and use it in a manner that is worthy of that holiness. And when we do, when we do, we start to see God rightly. We start to see ourselves rightly. This guy named Ed Welch, he wrote a book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. He said the whole the reason a lot of our problems carry such weight in us is because we've made God small and people big. And when we take the name of, the God, the name of God and we use it rightly, we start to see that people are small and God is really big. That starts to create peace in our souls that passes all understanding right? It starts to create purpose. What am I created for? What am I, give, what am I supposed to give my life towards? And we start to understand the name of God. But when we don't, when we don't treat the name of God as it's meant to be treated, when we misuse it and break the third commandment, a couple of things start to happen. We start to harden our hearts to who God is. We trivialize him. I'm going to show you in a second. We misrepresent him to the world around us, which leads us right to the, the next section of our sermon. I told you, we look at what is it saying and then how do we break it? Obeying this, let's look at how we break it. Obeying this command and then breaking this command, I think what you're starting to see is it involves a lot more than just letting like a bad word slip out, right? Like I think you'll find in all the commands, they very quickly just shoot down right to the core of who we are. I'm gonna kind of bucket the ways we break the command into about three ways, okay? We could do more, but I thought this was a helpful structure for us. The first way we misuse God's name is when we use his name in service of that which is false. There's a reason, if you think back, that the courts used to say uh, when they wanted an eyewitness testimony before you got up on the stand, you had to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. The reason they did that was the fear of the third commandment more explicitly laid out over in Leviticus 19, right? Don't swear falsely by my name because you'll be profaning the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And when you went under oath, you were invoking God's name into your testimony. So to lie would be to incur and invoke a penalty far worse than anything the state could do to you. You'd be subject to the punishment of God as laid out in the third commandment. But of course, it's more than just oaths. If we use God's name to ascribe a false sense of authority to something God hadn't necessarily said for us to do. We break the third commandment, which means, let me give you an example. Should be, we should be a little bit slower to say things like, God told me to do this because of the weight of the word you're putting behind that. God has spoken in scripture and beyond that, we are trying to read and faithfully doing it, trying to read the Holy Spirit's leading and even the apostles we see in Acts 15. When, they, when they're following the Spirit's leading, they say things like, it seemed best to us and it seemed best to the Holy Spirit for us to take this step or that. And that seems language should probably be a caution to us to say, we don't necessarily know the mind of God, 
but we can seek to follow his spirit. I've had people tell me God has told them to leave their spouse because they weren't happy. No, he didn't. And in saying that, you're also misusing the name of God. And I want to, y'all, I want to say this. This brings up a very real and current issue uh, that I just, as I prayed through it, I honestly didn't want to bring it up, but felt led to, to speak to it. Um, I need to get real. And I'm going to go to a little bit of a difficult place for a minute. All right. Earlier this year, a report in the Houston Chronicle came out that cited some 700 cases of sexual abuse that occurred over the last 20 years inside of local churches. And one of the consistent storylines was a person, I would say the consistent storyline, was a person in leadership in the church using their position of power to convince the other that it was God's will that they submit to that leader's abuse. And that is satanic. And I use that word satanic very intentionally because what could be more Satan-like than praying on the weak and innocent? And in the aftermath of these horrific acts, where people were blatantly misusing and misrepresenting the name of God to satisfy evil desires in a place like the church that should have been a place of refuge, many victims have left the faith. In fact, one survivor said about a pastor who did this, that he murdered my faith, and she's right. Jesus says it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than to cause a little one who believes in me to fall away. So I want to tell you, if that's you, not you the victim, but you who would be praying on the weak, I want you to be warned. Be warned first by Christ. Be warned of the judgment that is coming to you. And be warned that my job as an elder of this church, first and foremost, is to be a shepherd, which means I am protect, to protect the sheep, which means I am to hunt the wolves. From the start, I'll tell you, Mercy has been committed to being a safe church because we don't believe people can worship if they can't trust the environment they're in. So every staff member around here is background checked. Every kids team member's background checked. Protocols and procedures of our kids ministry were built with an abundance of caution in mind and are held to with utmost fidelity. We got officers here on our weekend services out of an abundance of caution. I'll never forget when we finally were able to first have them scheduled here. Somebody came up to me and said, oh no, did something happen? And I said, no, nothing has ever happened. And they're there to keep it that way. And we're not stopping there, y'all. We're working to become an even safer church for those who have suffered abuse in their past. We want the church to become the place of healing for you that it is meant to be, but we know we have to earn that trust. Uh, we got more coming in a couple of months um, on a plan that a group of members were pulling together from Mercy Church who are kind of more experts in the counseling field. They're going to help us to build and to lead us in that. Again, y'all, I know it's a heavy topic, but the statistics are far too alarming to just sit by and we will most assuredly stand adamantly against such evil, especially when perpetrated in the name of a good and gracious God. And if you'll let me, listen, I know, I know for some of y'all that is a full stop emotional thing. And I want you to know we have um, prayer team members, our pastors are here after each service. Again, you may not be ready to take that step to reveal that and to seek to begin to get help, but I want you to know we're always here for you in that. Um, and with that said, I wanna, I wanna move us into a couple other ways that I see us breaking this commandment. Another way we break it, the third commandment, is when we misuse God's name. Uh, and I would say when we use it flippantly, maybe it's a better way to say that. We misuse God's name when we use it flippantly. The sacredness of the name of God means we got to be careful 
And I would say just be warned against employing it in an irreverent manner. There's this story over in 2 Samuel 6 where the ark is being carried back um, into the temple. It's this big celebration. Streets are lined with people. They're so excited for what's happening. And then in, in this whole time as it's being taken, there's this one rule that's been set out, actually several, but one of them that's been set out is that no one's allowed to touch the ark. All right, in fact, the way the ark was designed was so that there would be poles that we put in and it would be put on a cart and it would be set apart so that there was no way any human could touch the ark because the ark was the sacred presence of God and to touch the ark was to be killed because you were unholy, it's holy, right? All right, so the ark is being taken and one of the oxen that's toting the cart stumbles, right? Hits a pothole and the thing starts to wobble and this guy named Uzzah sees that it's wobbling and so he puts his hand out to steady it and instantly he's killed and drops dead. And a lot of people look at that, maybe you're not a believer in here, and you're like, that seems like an overreaction. Second Samuel even says, it was out of his irreverence that he was struck down. Because listen, Uzzah thought under the circumstances, it was no big deal to break the command of God. Surely God would understand given the circumstances. In fact, he'd be helping God. And God's response is, no, you can't be casual with something that I have deemed so holy. And that would be the thing that I would warn us today, y'all. Listen, this one has done a number on me this week. When we use God's name casually, I think it's searing our conscience to who he really is. He's our creator, our king, our, our savior, Alpha and Omega. And when we say, when we text OMG in response to the taste of good chocolate pie, I just don't think we understand the God we're talking about. When we use it to express shock, outrage, or anger in a cuss word or something, we're misusing it. And every time we misuse it, the enemy further hardens our hearts from the combination of power and holiness and love that that name is supposed to evoke in us when we hear it, when we say it. When we use it in humor, y'all listen, I love humor. But invoking God's name for a laugh, it just doesn't take into account that God's name is not frivolous. It's kind of like this. You would never use, um, I don't think most of you that I know, would not use 9-11 or the Holocaust humorously or trivially, or flippantly, because we understand that there are certain things that must be set apart because of the weight they carry with it. Surely, surely that must be true of the name of the Holy Most High God. The one other way that we misuse it that I'll bring up today, uh, I struggle with the way to say this well, we misuse God's name when we fake using God's name. And another, might, another way to say that might just be when we use it hypocritically. Um, I, I was a part of a baseball team in high school. Uh, my, my, my high school team, I loved playing baseball and we had a good run. We were out kind of in the, the rural Bible Belt area, okay? So we had, this, um, had our team, but one of the practices that the coach um, made us do right before the start, opening pitch of every game, we'd all run out down the left field line. We'd all get in a little circle. We'd bow the knee. We'd say the Lord's Prayer. We'd recite the Lord's Prayer together. And listen, <laughs> Nothing before or after that in any way looked like we were representing the name of God, okay? High school dugout, not the place that was representing the name of God, all right? And because of that, what was happening as we did the Lord's Prayer, I think we were actually hardening our hearts to the one true God we were trying to invoke, 
Now listen, I'm not saying you can only say the Lord's name when you feel it, right? Because you think your way into your feelings, not the other way around, so we covered last week. What I'm saying is when we knowingly sing about a God that we actually openly defy, or maybe when we do it in Matthew 6, we heap up empty phrases when we pray just so people will hear us, not because we're going to the throne of grace we desperately need help from. In short, maybe the way we break this the most is when we pretend to be a follower of Christ, but we are not. This happens a lot in the Bible Belt, y'all. So listen, if this is you, you're certainly not alone, and, and there's a really good way forward for you today. But a lot of times what happens is people are Christians by culture rather than by conviction. That's when you have a faith that, that admires Jesus, but doesn't really submit to Jesus, if that makes sense. When Amazing Grace is a song you sing, but you can't explain why the grace is so amazing. When the Lord's Prayer is a chant, but it's not a cry from your soul. That's when you're a Christian by culture, not by conviction. A guy named Dean and Sarah wrote a fantastic book on this called The Unsaved Christian. He said, self-proclaimed Christians who worship a God that requires no self-sacrifice, no obedience, no submission, no surrender, are not worshiping the God of the Bible, no matter how much they claim to love Jesus. And listen, here's the thing. Jesus is saying that we Christians are now his primary agents for advancing his name across the world. So when we live out our lives in a way unworthy of who he is, we are actually breaking the third commandment. I mean, catch this. The Old Testament, what you had was the people of Israel, and then God dwelt among them, his presence in the temple and the ark, etc. But now, this side of the cross, God says his presence actually dwells. His name resides with every individual believer. So to act in any way that would be contrary to the name of God as seen in scripture would be to break the third commandment, which me and my, uh, a handful of guys from my community group were sitting around the breakfast table yesterday morning talking through this, and they're just like, oh. And there's a little bit of that uh, recognition to the, the weight of this command and to the, I guess, consistency of the ways that we always fall short of it. So where do we go from here? That would lead us right to the last part of our message. Where do we go from here? It shouldn't surprise us that the consequence of breaking this command is pretty severe, right? Let's go back to the commandment in Exodus 20, verse 7. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. What's the punishment? It's separation from God. The more we cheapen God's name, the more we grow callous in our hearts towards God himself, the smaller we make him, the more casual we make him, the less we feel we need him. And this is what makes breaking the third commandment so spiritually corrosive for our lives. When we break the third commandment, we are trying to dethrone God, distancing ourselves from feeling like we need him in any way. After all, he's not that big of a deal. And God says the wage of that sin is spiritual death. We all break it. We all mess this one up. There's no way around it. But that's where Christ comes into the picture. And he says he has come to fulfill the law, not abolish it. He lives out the third commandment perfectly. He carries the name of God perfectly. He spoke of the name of God perfectly. He fulfills the whole thing perfectly, which makes his death on the cross so remarkable. Because there on the cross, he is dying for your sin and my sin of breaking the third commandment. We treated God's name like garbage, but still he loved us. Even still, he gets up there and he pays 
for our sin, the penalty that we owed, the punishment we were due. So now get this. How do we obey the third commandment? Paul says we do it in the name of Jesus, the one who died for us. We do it in a constant state of worship. There's a beautiful um, kind of fulfillment of the third commandment, a way to, to look at it through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. Paul says in Colossians 3, 17, look at this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's what you speak or what you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then what's your posture as you're doing everything, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus? giving thanks to God the Father through him because he did what we couldn't do. So everything we do is in thankful response for what he did. Y'all, the third commandment is, right, it's, it's calling you to something through a negative. Here's what not to do. Colossians 3 is the positive form. Here's what to do. You seek to bring honor and glory in everything you say and do to the name of the one who brought you up out of the grave that you were destined for. And you do it not to earn God's favor. We've said this ever since we looked at the uh, first commandment. We've said it ever since we started Mercy Church. We looked at the first commandment. First commandment before God says, um, before he says, listen, you can worship no other gods. First he says, I'm the Lord your God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Therefore, he always starts, always with look at what I have done for you. Look at how I have saved you. And now that I have saved you, live in worshipful response and thanksgiving to what I've done and who I am. And that's what we're called to do. So we serve one another. That's an act of obedience to Christ. All of the one another's in the New Testament, we do it, why? We serve one another, how? Because he first served us. So we do it thankfully in the name of Jesus. We give generously to God's mission, an act of obedience to Christ, but we don't give hoping this will make us look good to God. We give because of the name of Jesus and what he's done for us. It's an act of joyful thanksgiving. We share the good news of Christ in joyful response to what has been shared with us. We worship gathered here together and when we scatter throughout the week in joyful response to the one who came for us who fills our hearts with joy as we give ourselves fully to him. Y'all, here's how I wanna, I wanna close our time in the third commandment, giving you, I wanna do this every week, give you a chance to respond to what God might be showing you. But my hope is that as you see the power of the name of Jesus, two things will happen. Conviction from where you've been casual, from where you have been using it in service of something false, right? The conviction will happen, but then celebration will break out in your heart because even though you were there, the name of Jesus is now the name of the one who has saved you from the punishment you were owed. So I wanna give you a chance to pray. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Let me lead you through this brief time of, of response. I think it's important that as you hear God's word preached, you take a second and, and respond to it. And the way you can pray is, Lord, would you show me how I have maybe misused your name or maybe just, I did not see. Forgive me for where I did not see how holy, how awesome you are. Just take a moment and worship him. If you are not a follower of Christ, I give you this chance most weeks to say, everyone, Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. If you've never called on his name, you can do that today. That's to, to turn from your sin, choosing your way over God's way and to surrender your life to Christ. And you can do that now. Lord, I believe you died for my sin. You took my punishment. You gave me life everlasting. I believe I received that. You take a moment, you pray as the Lord is leading you. God, we recognize the name that is above every other name. The only name, the only name whereby we can be saved. Forgive us for where we have trivialized such a beautiful, powerful, majestic, holy name. And God, we celebrate at the, at the same time our hearts grieve our sin and celebrate our Savior. Celebrate this name that has given us new life, that has given us purpose, it's given us security and comfort, peace and life everlasting with you. We celebrate the name of Jesus. So God, we come to you. Again, your people saying thank you. Holy, holy, holy is the name of the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, is, and is to come. Holy are you. We praise your name this morning, Father. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.